You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Coming to you live from the Silicon Prairie of South Dakota, we've got an exciting episode. Max Brickman, he's founder and managing director of a venture capital firm called Heartland Ventures. Now, they describe themselves as an unconventional venture capital firm focused on connecting startups. From traditional tech hubs to industrial corporations, here it is in America's heartland. We're not talking, you know, coastal type startups. So we're not doing Web3. We're not talking, uh, you know, interesting AI and, you know, technical, like augmented reality or kind of craziness like that. I'm actually talking about businesses that have real physical components to them. You know, real estate um, kind of makes a lot of sense. Heartland has over $100 million, you know, under management. And they've also invested in 14, or I, I believe it's up to 15 now, high-performing portfolio companies. Um, Max details how he got started in business. And this is a unique story. Starting in high school, building this massive uh landscaping company when he was 14, buying his first rental property before he graduated high school and using that to amass a a pretty tremendous real estate portfolio. A ton of grit in this story, but very smart. And I really appreciated a lot of the the lens that applies, that Max applies to how he does business and looks at opportunities. Specifically, I think his his investing strategy of who he partners with as you know, the partners in his funds, and then how they deploy those funds and the criteria they use to determine whether or not a startup is a good investment. Let's jump right in, hear what Max has to say. Hey, Max, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so everyone hadn't heard, but we were just discussing Wisconsin, the land of Wisconsin, uh, because you have some, some ties Back to Wisconsin, your your upbringing, and I mentioned my storage facility. But I have a question for you: do you do you buy those cheese curds at the gas stations and snack on them? Because they're everywhere. I, like, I actually always on the way back, I'll stop and I have to get spotted cow whenever I go back. That that's my one cow. thing. Do you ever go to? Uh, you, you what's can the, only what's get the cheese land or like cheese castle? I um, usually get it at the Mars Cheese Castle, which is. A castle full of cheese and brats and beer and all the things that Wisconsin has. Um, I'm kicking myself for never stopping because I was like, no, it's going to be so cheesy in that place. But maybe it was worth it. I should Next time I'm in the area, uh, we road trip a lot. So it it is kind of cool to see because it it used to be just out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was off the side of the highway, but in just farmland. And yes. it kept growing and growing, and the, but the, the castle kept growing and growing, but nothing. There's nothing around it, and then with the Intel and or, I'm sorry, the Foxconn announcement and everything else around it, that area yeah. is just blown up, and now it's like surrounded by, you know, where, massive million square foot warehouses and everything else, and it's just like, it, it's just wild to see. 
It is pretty neat. There's another place uh, for when you get bored and you want to drive west in Mitchell, South Dakota, called Corn Palace. Uh, and it I've is been a, there. It's a marvel. You've been there? Uh, yeah. On my oh, man. We, we're on the same wavelength. We are the... Yeah. We, we know what we're doing here. Well, um, I don't want to go down that path too far here, but Max, I'm excited for our conversation I'm here. Well drug in the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well drug. Only 739 miles to go. Five cent coffee. Um, I, w- I want to start off things proper. We're going to do an intro and then I'm going to take us back because I want to get a little bit of backstory here. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, Max Brickman, I, the founder and managing director of Heartland Ventures. Um, so we're a early stage, you know, seed and Series A venture fund, and the the approach that we take is is a bit different in that all of our investors, all of our you know LPs in our fund are all business owners, and and many of them are owners of you know real estate development firms, construction companies, um, you know, manufacturing businesses, but they're all operators and business owners of companies that are you know fifty million in revenue up to two or three billion. So yeah. think you know the that company that you see that warehouse you see off the side of the highway, you know, with some three letter acronym that you don't know that, you know, as some, that's like a fifth generation business, you know, we have about a hundred of those that are invested in our fund. And what that allows us to do is anything that we look to invest in, you know, primarily in, you know, again, real estate, uh, construction, manufacturing technology, anything we look to invest in, we can bring to these hundred business owners and say, Hey, is this something you guys would actually use? Is there an ROI here? Is there value here? And if we bring this early stage startup to, you know, the, these large established companies and they love it, well, then we invest and, and help them not only expand within those customers that, that we've already introduced them to, but help them expand throughout the Midwest and, and throughout the heartland. So we really try to act as a bit of a conduit between, you know, the, uh, technology hubs around the country and, and the heartland and, and some, you know, the, the secondary and tertiary kind of smaller markets around the Midwest mm-hmm. where, there's a ton of expertise, a ton of buying power in these large companies, but again, not a, a lot of connectivity to the to the tech hubs around the country. So we, yeah, uh, yeah. I, lo- I love I love that Max. And, and so, but and before we go too far in there, I, I I just have to roll things back. We have we have to we have to get a little bit of an earlier start here, right? Because you didn't just wake up one day and you're like, ah, what am I going to do and become a VC? Like, you got started as an operator really early in your career can you you talk me talk to me about like share a little bit about some of those early businesses and and especially the reason i was asking about wisconsin is you know your first investment property purchase like how you were able to take leverage business earnings to you know build out uh your own little real estate portfolio yeah so i i started at 14 um i had a landscaping company uh you know just kind of after school i i really wasn't super engaged by school at, at the time. I ended up being more engaged later on, but, uh, you know, it became a sort of an outlet for me, uh, to be able to, you know, get excited about something and, and be motivated by something was kind of that chase of finding that next account and, and being able to just be, be productive and, and try to build something. And, and pragmatically here. So like yeah. I was 14 at one point, right. I struggled to fill out my application for McDonald's, but you know, I I could shovel snow in the wintertime, which I did for my neighbors. And then every once in a while, I get asked to mow the lawn for people. So I hear in my head as a 14-year-old, I'm literally walking the block with a, a lawnmower. What was that 
four, 14 for you, what did that company look like? I want to I want to paint the picture here because yeah. I, I think it's a little bit more than just uh, you know walking the block mowing lawns. Yeah, we had uh, we had about 12 employees, um, a couple of trucks, you know, uh, several hundred accounts, both residential and commercial. Um, you know, a couple dozen shopping centers that we were doing, and it actually we grew by starting like that. Actually, everyone wants to hire the the kid down the road, right? Like you, you're willing mm-hmm. to pay kind of maybe a little bit more, maybe give them a little benefit of the doubt because um, they're the you know entrepreneurial you know mm-hmm. kid down the road. You want to give them a chance. Well, I was able to get you know twenty or thirty accounts kind of in my neighborhood by by doing that you know door to door. Hey, I live down the street. Can I mow your lawn? Type of thing. And that became sort of book, a book of business. And then I'd hire someone who you know, had a license and didn't have to go to school that was able to go through uh, and mow all the lawns. Uh, and uh, then found that only grew so far. So I was able to go out and, uh, and get kids from my class who were able to do the same thing. So I got seven or eight kids from my class who were able to go to their neighborhoods and get the 20 or 30 accounts that are on their street uh, and do the same thing and not be disingenuous but say, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard to, to make it seem like a, a company. Uh, and we were able to have someone then go through and, and kind of hit all the accounts. Um, so we were able to scale, scale pretty effectively by leveraging, you know, what we have at that point, which is sort of the, the you know, the kid down the street, that the entrepreneurial kid down the street that you want to help, kind of leveraging that, <laughs> that brand, if you will. So, and then you took the earnings from that and you bought your first investment property. Yeah, it started. We one of our accounts actually was getting ready to sell, um, and they called me up and said, "Hey, you know, you're you're going to lose one of your accounts because we're we're selling our, our properties." And as kind of naive as I, I was, I was like, "Well, you know, what if I bought it?" And we had built a relationship with this guy over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who's willing to do a little bit of seller financing and, and uh, kind of just kind of work with me a bit. It was someone that I honestly just met by mowing his lawn and, and ended up buying, it was a rundown duplex um, that, you know, ultimately was able to, you know, fix up and, and rent out. It was vacant at the time uh, and use that to then buy a second and a third and, uh, you know, kind of fast forward. We grew that to about 450 units um, throughout high school and uh, in the first year of college. Uh, so sold the landscaping and started to focus more on the real estate. Yeah, we just built a modest business. Uh, I mean, your professors in school and teachers, uh, you know, had to, you know, you come in from summer, like, what'd you guys do in your summer break? And you're talking about having raised a new bit of capital from investors and deploying it into a <laughs> it's a neighborhood. That's quite, it's quite a story here. And so that, are you still operating that real estate company or did you put that behind you to sell that and to be able to move on? So sold that, um, Around the time, uh, we also had a general contracting company where it started, you know, kind of in the real estate space as well. But just being opportunistic, saying, hey, we have, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done at these properties. It's hard to find folks. And so, you know, started off with a crew of painters that were able to do the the unit turns. Mm. Um, That took on a life of its own where, you know, other people in real estate would ask, hey, can we use that crew? And that kind of grew. And we ended up. Uh, we got to about four and a half million in revenue uh, within about a year on the construction company as well. Wow! Um, that we were able to bundle together. Very cool. Okay, so I want to get in the heartland here. So talk to me a little bit about why why go into VC. I mean, you yeah. clearly have the chops to be an operator. Why be? No, a VC? I, I just I love you know building businesses and I, and I love being in the Midwest and 
um, I'm just interested by technology and, and by you know just new companies and and this was you know in, I feel incredibly fortunate that I was able to find something that kind of blended all of those things together mm-hmm. um, so I you know I kind of stumbled into it candidly I mean I, I I'd sold the the real estate and I, I moved up uh, after college to South Bend uh, Indiana because that's where my my girlfriend now wife was going to grad school mm-hmm. and so I was in a city of a hundred thousand people uh, that didn't you know was not known as a tech hub by any means uh, you know you have Notre Dame there but it that's not a graduate you know it's, it's a you know, there's only, eight, I think it's like 8,000 kids. It's a lot smaller than I think most people think. There's not a huge mm-hmm. tech program. Uh, but you have a lot of, in you know, South Bend and the surrounding areas, you have a ton of these family businesses that are there. So I sort of, I, I found myself in that city. I started immersing myself in the community, meeting, you know, whoever I could, just taking meetings everywhere. And all the people I kept meeting that were doing interesting things were like, hey, I inherited a company from my great-great-grandfather, you know, and we make widgets or we, you know, we make, you know, a gear that goes into this and, you know, but they're thinking about it interesting, you know, they're saying, well, you know, we, we only had 25 employees, you know, for 80 years and, and now I'm wanting to, you know, bring in technology and, and really turn it into a new business or, you know, folks that were kind of doing those types of mm. things, but they were interested in, in using technology for their business, but because they were in you know, Elkhart, Indiana, or South Bend, Indiana, they didn't have direct access to it if it was coming from tech hubs. And so mm-hmm. that's really where Heartland started and how I got in the venture was that I said, you know, just being opportunistic, candidly, being in South Bend, meeting who I could, they said they were wanting to meet technology founders. I said, hey, I have a buddy out in San Francisco who started a company that, you know, that does this. And the first of this was actually a automated background screening company. Mm. So connected the two and uh, you know, the, they ended up, uh, you know, connected background screening company to the, to the Midwestern industrial companies. They all loved it. Uh, it helped both sides. And then it, from our perspective, we were able to say, Hey, uh, we made this connection. People want to use this product. You know, maybe we should invest. Yeah. Very cool. And then, you know, Heartland, it seems pretty obvious, but I mean, it's, has some ties to the Midwest. What, Obviously, you're from the Midwest, you know, but like, what is it that, you know, to you stands out about the Midwest that makes it so special to even name a company? Yeah, so all of our investors are our operators in the Midwest. They're all kind of companies in, in the heartland. They're the, you know, multi-generational family businesses that are, you know, building things um, and, and have been for generations. Those are our investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason we do that is because they have a ton of expertise, they have a ton of buying power, they have a ton of connections, but because they're they're fragmented around the country in smaller towns, they're sort of overlooked. But if you can right. bring all of them together and connect them to the Silicon Valleys, to the you know the tech hubs around the country, there's a huge amount of value there. And so I, our hope is to be able to give you know the heartland uh, a bit more of a voice when it comes to you know the development of of new tech, particularly in you know in real estate. So I'm born and raised west of Philly, so I'm I'm a I'm an East Coast native, and uh, you know about uh, 11 years ago I moved out to the Pacific Northwest. And let me tell you, culture shock. I mean, it was just a, a major change. And then, you know, before moving to South Dakota, I, I did two and a half years downtown Chicago. So I've gotten a taste of like kind of some of the extremes here across the the country. I've experienced some of the differences. And what I perceived differences in both business, but even how investors operate. 
how do you perceive the differences in how you go about uh, investing versus maybe say some of the the coastal uh, VC firms? Yeah, I think and I'd be curious in your perspective on this. It's the perception of the other side that's that's really interesting. So you know, being in in Philly, how people in Philly might think and talk about people in South Dakota and vice versa. And there's yeah. a lot of like misunderstanding and and kind of painting with a broad brush, I guess, on both sides. Mm. And, and that's not productive or effective. Uh, so if you can really understand the other side, you can understand what the other side is more experienced at and, and mm. more knowledgeable in. Uh, so the way we do that is we leverage, you know, the South, the folks in South Dakota as an, as that example to say, Hey, you guys really know, you know, oil and gas. So if we're going to invest in a oil and gas, you know, uh, drilling technology, we're not going to be asking, we're not going to go to a bunch of San Francisco VCs and say, Hey, what do you think about this? We're going to ask you guys. And yep. if you guys say this is amazing and you all want to use it because you say this is going to save us a couple million dollars a year on rigging or whatever it might be on training or whatever, then we know there's a market here. Yeah. So there's a lot of value in, in leveraging the expertise of, you know, yes, of the, the Philly, you know, coastal hub, but also leveraging the expertise of what the mid, what the heartland does really well. And mm. historically that, you know, has been more, you know, industry. Yeah. I mean, it makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, you know, there's obviously big differences. I never really even realized like radon was a thing to like know about. And then until we, I started shopping for houses here and I was like, so the radon mitigation, like that's in a house. Okay. That's a, that's that was the first line item I negotiated in with the purchase. Like, yeah, you guys are going to go ahead and put that in because yep. uh, I, I don't need any of that. So my yeah. even my neighbor, even he didn't even have it because he's lived here for too long. He goes, what's that thing that's constantly running in your garage? I'm like, oh, that's our radon thing. Because it's that just got like a hazardous material logo on it. <laughs> it's, it's just got this like slight hum to it and then a little uh, chimney that comes or, or exhaust that comes out the side of the the garage here. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the focus here. So we talked about, you know, like we talked about Midwest companies, you have Midwest um, based LPs, but let's talk about like some of the types of products, you know, they're not retail, they're not necessarily consumer focused, but you know, practically like give us some examples of the type of companies or even some of the specific port codes that you guys are invested in. Yeah. So one example is a company called Parkade. Um, it's, based out uh in california um the founder that was i think like employee seven at um uh at at lyft and mm. and started um and started this company that's basically think and i i don't i usually don't like these comparisons these like the this of that but sort of think it is helpful that you know airbnb for parking uh yeah. where if you have you know a parking garage that's for you know residential building you know high density residential building those parking spaces are pretty much going to be empty throughout the day. And you might have a gated, you know, gated entry and they're going to be empty throughout the day, but next door, maybe even on the ground level, you might have retail or office or, you know, whatever it might be that could use those parking spaces. And in virtually every case, they have their own parking and it becomes a very inefficient use of space. And the utilization rate of parking spaces is, is very, very low, uh, mm -hmm. which are, incredibly expensive to build. I think it's like $26,000 of parking space or something to build um, around the country. So what they do is 
allow the the resident the resident in this high density unit you know you're paying eighty hundred bucks a month to rent this space well you can lease it out on a daily or an hourly basis to you know a maintenance worker or a cleaning company who needs a parking space or a friend of someone else who lives mm. in the building or you know someone who works at the office building next door who doesn't have parking uh, you can rent you know your space um on yeah, again like hourly or daily basis you know events whatever it might be so it's really great for the city because a big barrier for getting approval for a lot of these developments is is the amount of parking so this mm -hmm. allows you to have a better utilization rate um, yeah you get much better i mean if two or three cars can use the same one spot throughout the day obviously like that that makes a big difference and having exactly. lived in chicago like Good night. I mean, it just yeah. sucked everywhere. Like I hated driving. It just was. It was a. It was a total nightmare. I actually went down the path of. I was shopping. <laughs> I was looking to buy parking spaces when I was in Chicago. I started looking and shopping, and literally was thinking. I was like, "Can I get a decent return on renting parking spaces to condo renters? So people who rent, you know, someone else's condo unit, because that's the hack to get." the more money for you know more bang for your buck in a city is rent condos not apartments and i was like all right i'll buy the parking spaces in the condo building i'll rent them back and then the pandemic hit and like it just shut down like there was no travel so parking supply just went through the roof yeah and i was like man i dodged a bullet there because there would have been nobody to rent that sucker yeah <laughs> but, that would have been interesting timing for sure yeah it wouldn't have been so great um so you talk about uh you said early stage series a they kind of fit to the categories of like real estate construction logistics anything else that you're looking for that kind of stands out like is it network effects is it going to be like enterprise SaaS, or there's a freemium plg type model that really stands out to you guys of like hey this is this is really something that we believe in as a valuable component to building a successful business yeah a lot of what we look at is is enterprise SaaS, but really what we focus on is is there value to the customer and so if we understand, if you're a startup founder or if we're looking at a product, we, we want to understand your ideal customer. Mm -hmm. And then we want to find five of them. Hopefully they're already investors in our network. And we want to basically just connect you with them. And if those five say, hey, you know, we're unbiased, we're looking at this just from the customer's perspective, and we love this, we think there's an ROI here. It doesn't matter if it's e-commerce or, or enterprise SaaS or if there's a hardware component. At the end of the day, there just really needs to be excitement from the customers. And that's that's what we're looking at. Yeah. At, you know, at the early stage, sales are the most important. Why not invest later stage, like Series B or C? Like what, what is it that you're not aiming for that? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. The, the reason, I'll, I'll be completely honest, the reason initially we did early stage is because we didn't have enough money to go later stage uh, to be able to get into those deals. Hey, that, but, that's fair. But really, you know, we had to be opportunistic. But but really, it's, it's that we can make much more of a meaningful impact at the early stage. Mm -hmm. Our ability to find, you know, a seed stage company, uh, but de-risk it by already, you know, knowing that there's product market fit allows us to get effectively an immediate markup. So if we can take a seed stage company and bring in, you know, a million dollars in revenue, uh, yeah, it increases the valuation. It shows there's product market fit. You know, it gives us leverage to even get into the deal in the first place. You know, why would a a competitive you know coastal you know uh, 
you know, startup in high demand take money from us, you know, it allows us to get into those deals. So mm. if, we're putting, if we're bringing a million in revenue to the table to a startup that's doing 20 million, we're, we're just one of many. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does make a ton of sense. And I mean, like, you know, we're in, in the world of now where some of the conversations I've seen around investing is, you know, profit is back. You know, the, the whole idea of like blitz scale to, you know, you know, to, 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 to whatever, you know, it's just maybe that day is gone or at least temporarily suspended and, and profit and revenue is, is back in vogue. It, it would almost seem like you are set up for the current environment in a way of like, hey, this is immediate revenue improvement or immediate traction. Is that by design or just simply luck that it kind of just happened that way? I, I think that was always the case in the Midwest uh, and in the heartland. Uh, yeah. And that's what I love about our LPs is that we, that's what they focus on. And so our sort of Midwestern perspective allows us to think that way and, and EBITDA and profit and not, um, you know, only in, in burn and, and, and other, and other things. Uh, so I think it's a, it's definitely a win for the Midwest and sort of the Midwest mentality. Yeah. So or you don't have a mentality. So you don't have a big swanky office with uh, dedicated nap rooms and some like weird cocoon type chair. We, we don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't. Uh, uh, and we encourage our startups not to either. One of these days I'm hoping to, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll swing through a road trip and I, I just, I want to believe that I'm going to pass by the Heartland offices and there's like a, there's a combine sitting outside and like there's a, you know, there's a big dually dump truck or something, you know, just like, like, oh yeah, that's a tech, that's a tech VC firm right there. I think that's not just your average uh, business in on the block here. Um, That'd be very on brand. <laughs> that's how you have to show up at conferences, you know, yeah. like, you know, you just, you pull up in, in a, you know, big, you know, a uh, uh, big rig or something like that, you know. And, I need your beard is what I need. Time, time and patience. All yeah. things are possible. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, w- I want to talk through and kind of like kind of think through like a little you know, future casting, if you will. And I know it's somewhat impossible, but, you know, what are some of the things that are getting you excited about what you're seeing in the market today that are showing that, hey, this is going to be a pretty big opportunity to be in front of for the next, you know, several or even, you know, five, ten years out? Yeah, I think it's really two things. One is the just the lack of supply in in, in mm. real estate market in general, and the underdevelopment that's that's going on. Um, we're not keeping in most cities across America. We're not keeping up with you know the incremental demand, let alone catching up to any level. Yeah, uh, and and that's going to create a huge amount of opportunity and, and need for you know efficiency gains in in construction and just in real estate in general. Uh, and the other it sort of ties into maybe the why of that is, you know, there haven't been any real efficiency gains in the construction space, you know, in 80 years. I mean, if you look at the, the level of productivity per person, it's basically mm-hmm. the same as it was you know, 70 years, 70, 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. One person was able to accomplish the same amount 70 or 80 years ago as they are today. Whereas in the manufacturing space, it's, you know, three or four times what it was then. So there just hasn't been really any productivity increases, and that leads to it leaves a lot of a lot of opportunity. 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, from from some of my blue collar days, like I think about some things that I've seen, and I, you know, I don't know if it's cost that gets in the way, where the material cost of you know some of the prefab pieces, like, you know, I worked with a builder, and all of our basement walls came pre-studded, and you know they're ready to be converted into a finished basement. So all the the buyer had to do was elect for that, and it's already studded, you know, to be able to build that out. But it just, you know, I have not seen that catch on or even the fact that like the foundation walls can be delivered and not poured on site, you know, things like that to increase productivity. What what do you think it is that's holding some of that adoption of, and those might not be the best examples, but what do you think it is that's holding back some of those adoption of, you know, either more efficient or, you know, faster methods of, of, of building new supply? I think it's kind of a, a fear of, a lack of willingness to award <clears throat> contracts to companies that are going to take those approaches. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a developer, you know, you'd rather have the sure thing that, you know, in, in most cases that you know it's going to be built. Your lender is definitely going to want that. You know, they're yes. not going to want to take the risk. And so if you do it the same way that 10,000 other developers have done it before you, you know, it, that's, that's going to make the bank happy. So there's not a lot of motivation to be that first mover. And because of that, the number of people that can take those risks is so small that you don't mm-hmm. have a lot of economies of scale to get those costs down. And so in the example you mentioned of like prefab, you, know, you don't have enough to, again, get the economies of scale down in, in the manufacturing facility, you know, yeah. pre- creating those panels you know, in a warehouse. And then also the, the, the transport costs are so high that there's not enough demand to build mm-hmm. them all around the country. So you end up trucking them from you know far away, which ends up the offsetting a lot of the, alone. the upside. Yeah. 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 Totally understood that. Um, so you, you guys recently closed a, uh, uh, is it second, your second round? Yeah. Second fund of okay. uh, 52 million. Okay. And so walk me through the vision for that. How long do you, like, is that a, you know, you put yourself on a schedule of like one or two year deployment of that capital or how many startups do you think that, that you'll use that to invest in? Yeah, it'll be closer to three, two to three years, but we're really a year into it. Um, okay. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll continue deploying out of this fund for the next, you know, year or two. Um, we'll invest in 20 companies out of it total. We're seven, you know, so far. Um, yep. So thir- 13 more um, out of the, out of the 52 million that we raised. Uh, so we'll, Make check, you know, we'll write checks anywhere from one to three million uh, of our initial check into a mm-hmm. startup, and then we'll re- we'll reserve the remaining for follow-on. So basically, doubling down on the winners uh, or the yeah. ones that you know we we feel we have the most you know impact um, over to be able to help. So I, I'm a founder listening to this podcast, and I'm like, man, I've got to talk to Max about my idea. I've got this automatic corn shucker that roasts and bags the popcorn all you know in the field so it's 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 field to bag in minutes how do i get in front of him and pitch this concept first of all i love the example uh and and (laughs) just reach seriously we we we're a you know we're a we're a small shop we have you know we're about nine people on our team um reach out to any one of us all of our emails are listed on our website mine is Mm -hmm. just my name max uh, at heartlandvc.com uh, or on LinkedIn, but shoot me an email and, and just say you, you know, uh, just reference this. So I don't think it's like cold outreach and would love to connect. Tell me you heard the corn pop story and you, you want to follow up on that. Um, yeah. 
The largest <laughs> corn popper is, or I think there's a company in Indiana that owns like 80 plus percent of all the popcorn in the world. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like every brand you ever think of from like, you know, the big movie movie theaters all the way to like Pop Secret or whatever, they're all the same company. I had no idea. That that just changed a lot in my head about what's possible in the popcorn industry. I might not go into that. Let's um let's pull back a little bit to um PropTech specifically and I want to talk you know, this might be I don't want to be controversial here, but you know, PropTech has had a ton of investment the last few years. And um, you know, it's really ramped up. And there's been a lot of new ideas and a lot of blitz scaling. Anything you're seeing that you're not really sure is or you don't feel confident it's going to be a long-lasting uh, trend or a way of doing business? Ooh. Uh, it's a good question. I There has been a lot of investment, and you're seeing funds like, you know, Fifth Wall just raised another big fund. Um, I think they were just pressed in the same thing, that there have been, you know, even significant losses in, in the real estate space, and, and they're just announcing their fund. Uh, but I think there's still, you know, huge opportunity there, uh, you know, for, again, just because of the, um, you know, the, the supply shortages. So I'm more excited about, like, the supply creation and, and, and construction space rather mm-hmm. than, um, uh, I guess, what I will say, one, one thing I'm not, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I, I really love the idea of manufactured housing or prefab but Mm -hmm. kind of going back to the point before the the transport costs are just so high that right now i don't think it makes sense yet and i would love to see someone that can you know figure out how to get the transport costs down or have it not be an oversized load or or you know do something on site so it it reduces the weight but you can do something on site that you know you're adding Something, something that allows for lower transport costs, I think, would, would allow that space to, to do well. But right now, it ends up being more expensive and less um, uh, flexible Yeah, because uh, you have to use their panels to go with the prefab option. Yeah, yeah, totally understood that. Yeah, and we've had a few different discussions in the last year on a few different types of uh, either modular builds or really, like, kind of spec builds that you can do at larger scale and you know there's some of those challenges certainly the transport is one of those challenges the logistics and you know in that respect it's you pick a market where you have significant enough demand and it's essentially california i mean right now it's been california you know california relaxed a lot of its adu laws it relaxed a lot of its infill laws to try and create that new inventory and it's it's creating those opportunities for that but you know in the midwest I mean, yes, the demand has gone up, but land is not in short supply. I mean, if, as long as you're not buying Chicago land, you can buy anything in Illinois. <laughs> there is not a shortage for sure. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to end up where you may want to be. There's a cool town. Uh, uh, is it Casey? Yeah, Casey, Illinois. You ever been there? Uh, I haven't. All right, so this is a new one. That's the little town of big things. It's got a whole bunch of world record largest items like mailbox and pencil and probably lots to buy there but uh you know you you could easily (laughs) find yourself uh something out that way um before we digress too far i want to keep it moving here i've got a few more questions i want to get into before we get to the the bottom of the show um i want to talk about this 
missed opportunities. Is there any companies that you looked at and were like, man, this looks really cool and uh, maybe you didn't go into, invest in, uh, and you, you feel like you should have or maybe you missed an email? Like, Has that ever happened to you? That's like the famous Twitter meme of, I could have invested in Uber and I didn't and now look at me. You know, and Of course, it inevitably only happens when companies go public. You hear about those stories. I'm curious if you had any of those instances. There's always going to be those um... What I would be upset about is if one happened and we didn't follow our process or our model. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was one uh, at the very beginning uh, that we didn't get allocation into because we were really early and really hadn't perfected our, our thesis or our talking points of like really why you should, you know, at the end of the day, we're you know, selling money kind of. You know, why should you take our money versus somebody else? And so that needs to be compelling, and we need to be able to add value more than someone else. You know, you take money from a, a big brand because you know, the brand brings credibility mm-hmm. and, and sort of the expectation that they're going to be a good advisor and, 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 and help, you know, uh, the bring kind of the future money in that you might need. For us, there's one, uh, actually, Imperfect Foods, uh, Imperfect Produce, uh, where they shipped, like, produce that was destined to be like ground up and fed to cattle mm-hmm. and they would box it up and ship it to you on a subscription model. But, you know, we hadn't really figured out um, how we would add value and it didn't really, we're not, we don't help, we don't really invest in consumer, but we could have helped on the supply side on providing uh-huh. introductions to, you know, farmers who might be able to help with that. But we weren't able to navigate that quick enough and because of that we didn't get allocation. Um, yeah. And they ended up selling for, for quite a bit. Um, so I think it really just, you know, forced us to, you know, this was really in the early days, but technically before we could close the first fund, it was yeah. still while we were doing a bit of a test fund, um, but forced us to kind of look internal and, and say, how, how do we not let that happen again? And how do we become more compelling and more valuable to the startups that, that we're looking at? Sometimes I like to play a little game with the startups that I get to talk to from my show. And uh, I just look at like, hey, who would I invest in? And then when I see... You know, I, I'm I'm not an investor, but uh, or I, I don't actively invest in startups, I should say. And and so then, uh, you know, I'll when I see that they either get acquired or, uh, in the worst case, when they shut down, and I'm like trying to gut check myself of like, okay, what was it that stood out? Like, what would have been the the thing? And even when some of them just because they sold, doesn't mean necessarily that would have been a good play. Right. You know, companies get acquired, uh, but it doesn't mean everyone gets paid. Um, and sometimes people, especially like if you're further down the rung, like you're not going to see much, uh, you know, and that is the, uh, unfortunate scenario, uh, sometimes in those cases. Um, all right. I want to move to the bottom of the show. We're going to move on to the segment I call for the future for the futures. When I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions, Max, are you ready to play? Uh, sure. All right, let's do it. Number one, what does Heartland Ventures look like one year from now? Uh, we will, I think, have, uh, let's say, an- announced our first closed close for Fund 3. Very cool. All right. Question number two, will overall PropTech VC investment increase or decline in 2023? Why? I think it will actually decline, not because of need, but because of... Uh, folks that have gotten burned in the last couple of months who invested in areas of prop tech that they didn't fully understand. I think that might mm. send a negative 
message to the rest of the, in, the rest of the space. I mean, Fifth Wall just came in like with nearly a billion to put into yeah. the industry. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd be impressed if they, if they like deployed all that this year. That would be impressive. <laughs> well, it took the last year. I mean, being a, <laughs> yeah, totally, you know, totally, yeah, yeah. You know, I tend to agree. Actually, I actually align to that. I, 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 I don't think it's necessarily a realistic tra- um, contraction of the industry. Right. I don't think it's that's. Been, I think there's been an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so naturally it's going to take less dollars to move the same amount of needle. Yeah. Um, what's one industry trend? Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? I'm going to say modular, uh, modular housing, modular construction, but I don't wish it goes away. I just wish it, I'm just excited for it to improve. There it is. Okay. That's all right. All right. The last one here, number four on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I would say injuries. Oh. A huge, an incredible number of injuries and deaths that still happen in, in, in construction that are just unnecessary. Hmm. And through yeah. tech, through automation, through safety advancements, we can reduce those pretty dramatically. I like that take. That's the first time I've had a take like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, Max. So we're going to get into the last three. These are questions more about you so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. Uh, first one, what are you reading? I'm, fine. I'm a bit slow slow to this one, but I'm, I'm uh, the hard thing about hard things. I'm finally oh. getting around to reading it. Yeah. Uh, so just starting that. Have you ever been in the wartime CEO mentality? Uh, I'm... I'm just starting. Is that is that what the? Oh, okay. you haven't got you haven't finished the book. No, You're just getting into it. I'm like starting. Oh man. Starting to read. Yeah. Oh well, I just spoil spoiler alert. You, you, well, now you're gonna know what you're looking for. You're like, yeah. wartime CEO. All right. Very very cool. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm interested in hear what you have to say about that one. All right. Number two. Who are you learning from? Uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I don't know if you've watched like the B1M or Tomorrow's Build. No. Uh, YouTube channel. Uh, by uh i actually don't even know um the guy's what, what, name what is it by what b1m oh b1m it's a, it's a guy on, on YouTube. youtube that's kind of grown pretty rapidly but it's like all things real estate and construction he has a couple different channels and it is really great in-depth wow. uh you know videos on you know uh whether it's you know mass timber construction or you know, uh, the future, you know, removing dams and, and the issues that come up with that. or, or Why just... Russia is building an Arctic Silk Road. Yeah, and he, it, I think his 2.8 is... million views. I had no idea that was that popular. Yeah. <laughs> I also never knew I wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Good blend of entertaining uh, and informative. Yeah. All right, last one here, Max. What inspires you? For me, it's it's growth, whether it's it's personal or, or kind of community growth. But I just love seeing you know companies yeah. grow and being a part of that, or or, or growing my own company. Um, so we're excited to to grow Heartland and to, and partner with you know startups that are growing themselves. I appreciate that, Max. I thank you so much for your time, breaking everything down. I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, you know, I think that you know your experience as an operator in multiple capacities, you know, and the way you're approaching VC makes a lot of sense and genuinely, not ironically, adds value 
uh, as an investor. Um, before we close out here, uh, for those who want to get in touch with you or learn more about Heartland, where do they go? How do they do that? Please feel free to reach out direct. Our, our you know, all of our emails are on our site, um, but heartlandvc.com, and feel free to shoot us a note. Very cool. Um, next time I'm passing through Columbus, I'll give a little wave as I'm probably driving to Philly. Um, every once in a while, I road trip that route. Not my favorite, but uh, I'll give a little wave as we we try and speed through Ohio. It's not as bad as Jersey, you know. So I'll I'll withhold comments. You know, what I mean. It, from Pennsylvania. We, we just, it is what it is, but I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Please do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.